The following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We welcome our podcasters today. We have been in the middle of a series called True Grace. I do appreciate some of the feedback that we have received on, hey, what's the big difference between grace and what you're calling true grace? Grace is a person. It is one of the names of Christ. And this is critical as we move forward in our study. This is number 100, believe it or not. We just hit our 100th podcast. But the uh, title for today is The Conditions of Grace. And that's that even messes with my mind, that there are conditions with grace. Because the world has taught for so long that grace has no conditions or it's unmerited favor. So it's kind of like there are no conditions. But there are. And the word makes that quite clear. So let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 4 verses 14 through 21. Who is bold enough to come and share that with us? For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made have I made you, in the sight of him who who believed, even God, who gives life to the to the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which he had spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak, his faith he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that he had pro- what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Our word for today is not just grace, but it's also faith. So, faith slash grace. Still the bottom line being, grace is grace, redemption at uh, Christ's expense. So we need to talk about the balance between condition, works, and faith, which requires no works. If you have faith that something is going to happen, are there any works involved in that? How many Christians would you say, Christ followers, would you say that they have faith that Christ is going to return? 
where they're teaching it and preaching it and warning people. And it's just like they are expectant of him any moment. Because it could be tonight. We may not have church next Sunday. Could be tonight. So I guess now the new question is, particularly for our listeners, how many are expecting Jesus Christ tonight? I am. But see, I can't tell you when he's going to come. Neither can Jesus. But am I expecting it? Yes, I'm expecting him like a thief in the night. During this service, after this service, in the middle of the tonight, tonight, whenever. I'm not waiting for a hundred years. I'm not waiting for your average Bible prophecy or, or Bible prophet to say the Hebrew calendar says it's 400 more years. <coughs> that is a different kind of believer. And here's what happens. Those kinds of indwelt believers put conditions to grace every day. Now, I should be getting a call at 602-292-2982 or a text or an email now. Because the standard average believer believes there is no conditions connected to grace. But yet, as I speak to these grace people, they are constantly putting conditions in place. Rightfully so. Before we get into these conditions, does anyone want to take a guess at just maybe what one of them are? No, I'm talking about a real condition, one that is honored by God. You have to accept Christ. That's a huge condition. So when you're talking to someone about the end times and, you know, they're starting to get a little scared, fear can be used very appropriately, believe me. If you're a counselor, discipler, or pastor, or prophet, you understand that fear should be used very appropriately. And that's why the hellfire damnation preachers, remember those guys? The Spurgeons? People sitting in pews, hanging onto the pew in front of them? Because this is a true story. Because they thought the floor was going to come out from underneath them when he was preaching? I want to meet him someday. And Peter was like that. I mean, can you imagine speaking and having the ground tremble underneath you a little bit? There were preachers like that. That the power of God goes to people who are like that. It's attracted to people who go, I'm not going to talk faith. I'm expecting it. They're expecting Christ to show up in their service to do miracles. They're expecting the return, they're expecting everything he said to come true. In fact, they're going to help bring it about. We are the last name of Jesus. The body of Christ. We are to carry out the actions in Christ Jesus. We're his labor. We're his tools. We're his workmanship. Are you with me? Jesus Christ. Christ wasn't his last name. Christ was the function of Jesus. He is the Messiah of the entire past, present, and future. Function 
I am the Messiah. And he creates, he lives, shuts things down, and walks on in eternity with the new earth with us. Function. Jesus is the little lamb name. Christ is the Lion of Judah. Big difference in animals. The marriage of faith and grace for the promise to Abraham. This is what we just read in scripture. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir to the world was not just through the law but through righteousness of faith. Most people do look at Abraham as the representation of the law. You see, God drug out this thing about having a son, as the scriptures emphasize. And Ian, how old exactly did Paul say he was? A hundred years old. How old was Sarah when she gave birth to him, to Isaac? So she was 80. Why would God drag that out? What? Why would God drag that promise out? I mean, honestly, it seems ridiculous to me. Can you imagine waiting until you're 100 years of age to have children? I would have adopted several times before then. Okay, so God was moving it from works to faith, from law to faith. That's what was happening. And you find that in stories all the way through the Old Testament is God moves it beyond the human realm of logic. And he brings it, drags it out to such a point that there's no other way for you to explain it except for an action that came out of faith by God. The activity of grace that came out from faith. All right? So I need to have you guys make that link. Put the two links together. So you won't put an overemphasis on activity and you won't put an overemphasis on faith, grace, life, a label, a, a, a name given to a person. The two must stay married. They must stay together. They should not divorce. If they divorce each other, we're going to lose the gateway of salvation, the condition, the action. We're going to lose the gateway, the opportunity of salvation. Now, Ian, how many are going to hell out of everyone who's ever been created? Probably about 90%. How many people that have been born did God desire to come to heaven? Huh? All of them. So whose fault is it? The universalists or upset at us conservative evangelistic type of preachers because we believe that there's this tormenting God that purposes 90% to go to hell. So that's bad theology. God purposes for a 100% of every human ever born to come to heaven. He loves everyone. So why in the world would he allow, as a sovereign God, 90% to go to hell. He certainly did. I'm here to tell you today that they were living a divorced lifestyle. They were all faith, 
I know New Agers that have more faith than a lot of Christians. I've seen, I've seen spiritists call for spirits. I've seen them with my own eyes who have more faith than Christians. I've seen demonic people bring things from an unseen world to a seen world with my own eyes. It does happen. Whether you want to believe it or not, there is, there's power in an unseen world that can be ushered into a seen world and you can see it. But yet most Christians won't even take the time to understand the relationship between faith and grace. Or faith in works. Or faith in law. Paul is wanting us to see something here about law. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. And the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. There's no way you can work with someone and not reach them until you help them feel condemned and guilty that they are breaking the law. I mean, if someone is about to make a decision of immorality or someone's about to make a decision, whatever, you want to use your little grace tool on them at that moment? No, I'm going to use the law on them. I'm going to show them that this is in violation of the living God and how it works in marriage and how it works in culture and how it works in society. Because if there's no law, there's no understanding of violation. If there's no understanding of violation, you don't need Christ. You don't need Jesus. You can make up any religion you want and it'll work for you. There are people who call themselves prophet and they're nothing more than demonic manifestors in these churches. So it isn't about faith. Faith is... Rampant in the world today. You got to understand the law and who wrote it and why he wrote it before the faith can come in as the wife. The man has always represented law. The woman always represents faith. It's the marriage. But women have become more the law, the the financial providers, the one who comes up with the spiritual doctrines in the home, and, and, and. And men have become more like women, so it's no wonder why we have a gay movement. I think the general percentage in the world that the thinking is going to be, you line up ten men and try to get sound doctrines out of those ten men, and you might get a point five that's able to tell you what a real man's supposed to be in Christ Jesus. I think they're right. I think most men are passive and latent with their leadership and they are covertly communicating that this is what a true man's supposed to look like. So what happens is the man end up playing with immorality as a lifestyle while the woman has to be responsible all the time. Have we not seen that shift in our society? That's why that is. For this reason, by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, Jesus, so that the promise can be actually guaranteed, qualified. 
sealed. For this reason, it is by faith. See, Abraham represented promise and this inheritance. And this inheritance was going to keep getting passed down from generation to generation until one day we'd all wake up and go, wow, Abraham truly was the father of the living. And all of you prophecy studiers, many of them I get the privilege to dialogue with you, let's remember one thing. In the final hours of this earth, there's going to be two dominant races. Isaac and Ishmael. And there will be whatever's left over from those other races will be fit in there somewhere, but it's going to boil down to the inheritance of two brothers claiming the rights to. One's going to claim it through the law. Who's that? Ishmael. And one is going to claim it through faith. Who's that? Isaac. You're reading it. It's supposed to be together. And that's what Paul's communicating to us here. Not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That is the perfect definition of faith. People use it. Demonic side, God's side. Calls it in. You're in that world Get here now. And you're bringing it from a spirit world into this world. God himself. This isn't God's world. He lives in a different world, a different realm. And faith in indwell believers is bringing that into our reality today. It's the same. No matter which God gets the benefit. First things first here. It must be admitted that... From the divine perspective of grace, Christ is unconditioned and unconditional. His life is unconditioned and unconditional. God is independent and sovereign. His activity is free and spontaneous, but only according to his perfect will. Now to some of you should think that just doesn't go together. How can a will be independent and spontaneous if it's bound by a will? A will actually means a contract stated. So when you say, well, I left my will for my kids, what are you saying? For you to have my inheritance. Is that not what's being communicated here with us? See, God's perfect will is an inheritance. It is a will filled out of exactly what each generation is going to look like. And so he doesn't deviate from that inheritance will. Because if he deviated in his spontaneity, in this perfect will, 
it would throw off the final inheritance. So 2,000 years later, 5,000 years later, 7,000 years later, you're not going to get anything. Because he divvied it out to these spoiled children who demand of him to keep his promise. Well, God won't deviate from the will. Because the inheritance of the last person on earth that takes the last breath gets the same inheritance. Because he would not deviate from his doctrines of the law. And by faith, something has to happen here. And that's what we're talking about. So grace proceeds entirely from himself. And that is conditioned in no way by anything the chosen bridal members of his favor. There's nothing in me as a chosen bridal member that I can choose that can change that. He has his conditions. They're set in place. They will not move. It's like a cornerstone that all of the weight of that building is on that cornerstone and it cannot move. It's firmly planted. God owes nothing to any human or spirit. Thus his grace activity is free to all those. I'm telling you this messes with the minds of, of people. Oh, now you're saying God chooses. There's an elect. Yeah, I'm afraid he does. Because see, I could see someone just as a humanoid. I can look at your average person and go... They're never going to get it. And so can you. And then God can surprise us with a miracle. Faith. But in your logic and your reason, you're, you're looking at them like, they're never going to get it. Well, can you imagine God? Where he can go, no, he never will get it. I, I see so far down the road, Stephen, I can tell you he's not going to get it. But see that one right there next to him? It appears he's never going to get it, but he does when he's 73. That's our God. So the selection process is in foreknowledge. The condition is, all must receive the third part of this trinity, which is what? The Holy Spirit. Through the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, who is grace. His love toward all mankind is for the conditional entrance offered through Jesus Christ. So here's the deal, guys. There's another condition before this. I'm going to throw out three today that it's going to mess with your mind a little bit. There's actually one condition before this one. A lot has got to happen before you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. A lot. So since grace is conditional, what has to happen before you go, um, excuse me, could you sign me up for that life? I want what you have. That's the end of the mission. Not the beginning. What has got to happen? What has got to happen before you stand right in front of the cross and 
You look through that little peak hole in the cross and you're like, there's no way I'm going to get through that thing. Hmm. Something's got to happen. Then pretty soon you pull back from the eye of that needle and Christ himself is standing there and he says, well, sorry, you're going to have to die. Because the only thing that's going to get sucked through that eye of the needle is your spirit. Because I'm going to give you a brand new body after you walk this pathway for a little while. And then I'm going to renew your mind, your will, and emotions as you're on that little golden pathway. And so there you're faced with it. I'm a rich man and I've got silos filled with grain and I've got this you know, thick wallet and I'm just set in life. But you know, I always on the other side of that little, that little tree. And a condition's put on me. Jesus put a condition on the rich man. What did he say? And his response was, you know, I'm like, Jesus, why did you waste time tell us that story when he knew he was going to say no? That's this is why. He said he 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 even knows the people that are going to look right at him and say, "I'm not doing that. I'm not dying." He even knew, but he see made a promise, as God did to Abraham, that he'll present it to everyone. Everyone that will ever be born. And then if they even say, well, you know, I'm going to be buried with my gold. Egyptians. And they die and they get their gold buried with them and we go dig it up and sell it. You know. But when they get on the other side, they forgot one simple thing that he said. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am he. You see, God's going to get his, his glory one way or the other. You can stiff arm him the whole entire journey. And then when he has you right up there by that, that little eye on the cross, and you're going, wow, that's pretty cool in there. Who are you? I am he. In order for you to get through there, you have to say I am he. And then let me kill you. You must die in order to live. Oh no, well I'm not doing that. And he goes, okay. There was no debate with this rich man. It was okay. And it got wrote down. And then he dies. And then when he stands before Judgment Day that day and the book is opened up, every word that came out of that rich man's mouth is in the book. He said, did you not say this? 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 And if you try lying before the throne of God, you won't be able to. When you're in the presence of righteousness, you can't lie. Can't be done. So the confessions will all come. Yes, I did. 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 Go to hell. I warned you. I I told you. I stood there, remember, with my son, and he presented that this is how you get through there. And what did you say? Well, I was stupid then. I'm not now. Oh, okay. 
The opportunity of entrance is on this side. And when you die, there's no cross. The cross is a human symbol of death for your benefit. Grace is unconditionally conditional. God's grace, Jesus, is unconditioned and unconditional, true. Yet this truth can be overemphasized to the extreme in the failure to recognize man's response to grace and Jesus' invitation to become one of his elect, which places grace in the indwelled believer. So grace is an activity, yes, but it's an activity of God. So to receive the activity of God inside you, you must become placed in him and he is placed in you because he's hidden in God. And that's how it all works. When the saving grace of God is represented as an unconditional bonus or offer, the logical deduction is, is, is salvation for all regardless of their personal acceptance of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. goes universal overnight. So my grace, people that do listen to our little podcast, I will tell you this. The reason why you, you consistently send me emails and text mess- messages that universalism is taking over the exchanged life, over the grace movement, You're looking at it right now on your PDF. The reason why that the universalists are taking over the grace community is because these grace community are buying into a complete different wrong kind of grace. Grace is conditional. And you can't have it unless you go through that tiny little hole in that cross. In order for you to do that, you have to be co-crucified with Christ. So that you too can go through the eye of that needle and receive new life. Brand new life. New creation. You're not revised, revisited, reconditioned. You're brand new. To maintain biblical balance, we must consider that From man's perspective, there is the condition of human response to God's divine grace activity. This condition of human response, salvation, for the effective application of God's grace expression in our lives, which is all done and literally is called faith. For Jesus is faith too. I can tell you the function of Christ by studying his names. And I can tell you the activity of his father by evaluating the names his father gave him. And so if you go through the entire 225 names of Jesus, you will discover a very active God. He is our righteousness. He is our faith. He is our holiness. And it goes on and on and on. Holiness is very active. If you're in the presence of a holy God, it is very active. If you're in the presence of a true man of faith, it's very active. 
For the prayer of a righteous man prevaileth much. It's very active. So activity comes out of that statement of faith. On both sides, actually. Without faith, grace is not possible. Some Christian teachers in their desire to preserve the divine perspective of God's grace, being 100% unconditioned and unconditional, and wanting to avoid any suggestion that faith is a cause or ground of God's grace, have concluded that even the faith response of man is enabled and enacted by the grace activity of God, which is a wrong statement. They have often attempted to document such by interpretations of verses such as Ephesians 2.8 and, of course, Galatians 2.20. It needs to be noted that even with the second condition of grace, faith, it is given uh, to the elect as the measurement and gift from Jesus personally. This can be hard for a lot of people to understand. Once the measurement of faith is given, a response on the part of the person can then choose to receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at the verses. Ephesians 4, 7 says, But to each one, you guys, me guys, to each one of us, Grace was given according to, finish it. Anytime you find the word measurement used Old Testament or New Testament, it's conditional. So every one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's, Christ's gift. Let's take a look at Romans 12.3. For through the grace given to me, it's given... I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think also, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God is allotted to each a measurement of what? Faith. See, not only do you get a measurement of grace, you get a measurement of faith. Some people that you meet, their cup is filled with faith. Every time I take a spiritual gifts test and out of one out of 15, it ends up 15. If God says it, I believe it. It doesn't mean I'm not going to doubt it from time to time. I'm just telling you, that's the kind of faith I have. I see it, hear it, and say, yes. Then, I, then God's got to work it out in my life. See, every person's been given a measurement. And there's a reason why the measurement is given at different levels with some people because can you imagine me functioning as a two and have him send me out into some of the stuff that he has me do today? I would cower behind the first tree I could find. You know why God had to deliver me from this lifestyle of fear I had where I couldn't even go in and buy my own chewing gum? There's no way I could go into the, the, to the, the battles and the places that he has sent me with that kind of faith. That isn't faith. People who suffer fear don't have faith in their hands. They do have it in a measurement. They've just never taken the time to see what measurement God has given them. Well, because of my fears, I know I didn't get a lot of it. 
And here the enemy knows that this boy better never get in contact with that he's a 15. So the extreme of fears in some people is evidence. And I've said this for years in ministry. The ex- people who suffer extreme fears oftentimes are those who have been granted the largest measurements of faith. Satan knows it. And he doesn't want you to get in touch with it. Finally, we read in John 3.34, As for the Spirit, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now here's the deal, guys. I've been given a measurement. But I have the Holy Spirit living in me who has no measurement. In other words, I have full on, full on Jesus Christ, whoever he is, all of his inheritance, living inside my mortal body. But he, through the Holy Spirit, is only going to use the measurement that God gave me. In other words, you're not going to see me walking on water anytime soon. You see what I'm saying? Or maybe you will. You see, there is no limits to the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can accomplish in a person's life. There are no limits. But there are limits in Steve Finney. Because there has been a measurement given to me. Does that make sense? Okay. We're getting close here. Human faith does not exist. Mankind's response to grace is worthless unless it is married to the faith of Christ, which is given to us as a gift, if you remember. Therefore, Christ's faith is the golden key that unlocks the gateway to salvation, which provides us with the free and unconditional activity of God's grace in His Son. And this, this, this is what you know, blows me away, is that Jesus was handing that rich man the key. And he wouldn't take it. I mean, he doesn't just expect us to repent and say the sinner's prayer and whatever so we can get through the eye of that needle. He knows it takes faith. The condition before the condition of the cross. He knows that it takes faith before he can actually enter into salvation. And even with that, he says, I'm giving it to you. And the person says, no, thank you. I don't want it. I have my own faith. That's basically what it boils down to is witchcraft. Why is witchcraft a billion-dollar industry today? Why didn't year 2001 that Halloween became higher in sales than Christmas? Witchcraft is not always following Satan, the black hood. A lot of times it's following your own videos, your own video games, and how some of you can put an image of a satanic demon on your front door on Halloween and then go to (coughs) church on Sunday and refuse to wear a cross around your neck because you're embarrassed. Those don't go together to me. They shouldn't for you. It needs to be clear that it is not any human act. Work, faith, 
or emotional desperate plea that solicits God's grace activity. People want to relieve themselves from suffering beyond wanting just an aspirin. They will do the most horrific things against the word of God so that they're not uncomfortable in experiencing emotional pain anymore. The world is filled with it. It is a gazillion dollar industry. Finding a fix, paying for a fix, that fix the fix that God's got fixed on you to try to stop you from always trying to be a control freak. And you'll pay good money every month to do it. Bummer. God only responds to the faith of Christ. And I hope you hear this. I'm telling you. If you want God to respond to you, if he sees any other kind of faith besides that gift that was given to you, that measurement that was given to you, he's going to shake his head and go, don't know ya. He knows us by our faith because our faith was given to us as a gift and measurement from him. He knows what he gives. He, When the gift comes back to him and he receives it, he goes, that's from my storehouse. Awesome. Come on in. It's the key. But you won't know that till you get on the other side. The power of Christ and the work of Christ and fulfilling the law is plain and simple. And that final work that he did says, there is no work, no activity on your part that's going to get you through this passageway. We got that all taken care of for you. In fact, I'll give you the faith to even believe that. Christ's faith is our human receptivity key of God's grace activity in Jesus Christ. That would be, if I was to extract one sentence out of everything we've taught in this series, that would be it. So I'll read it again. Christ's faith is our human receptivity, the key of God's grace activity in Jesus Christ. Grace and faith are often found in correlation to each other in the New Testament. The fulfillment of God's promise is by faith in accordance with grace, Romans 4.16. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that salvation, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not a result of our works, certainly but as a result of his works, the works of Christ, which were the final works. So you want to brag about something, brag about that. But I believe it's critical for every one of us listeners to be able to explain to someone what really is going on when you're right there by the cross. Because here's the four profiles of a man getting right up to that cross, just like the rich old, old ruler was, and he just kind of listened to Jesus and he's kind of looking through the passageway of that cross, seeing the beauty and wealth on the other side. And that was the problem, is prosperity thinking. He was seeing the incredible wealth on the other side. Christ knowing he was going to say no. So he turns around and walks away. The second person walks up to the cross, looks in there and goes, awesome. Can I, can I go there? Yeah. 
Here's the faith. You have to have this first. And then you have to die. Yep for that? No. But I just want to hang out with you. And you know what? Judas hung out with Jesus until the last hour. There's a lot of Christians hanging out with Jesus. And they're no different than Judas. All kissy, huggy, lovey, sit by him, serving him, you know, whatever. But when push comes to shove, he'll turn on you like a snake. Then there's the third kind. They come up and they look through there and they go, awesome, I want some of that. And Jesus goes, well, here's the gift of faith. You have to, you have to inherit this first. You have to take it out of my hand. So they take it out of his hand. And then he goes, oh, by the way, you got to die. You up for that? No. No, I don't think so. But thanks for the gift. And they walk around the cross. And they're emergent in the church. And that is where the majority of them are at today. They go, no, no, thanks. <laughs> and then they walk in all of the stuff of faith. So we got prosperity doctrines. We got prophets saying crazy weird stuff who write Bibles and sell them and make money off of them and throw out prayer claws and they just crazy stuff that all the Christian followers are going, cool. What's the donation for that one? No, the prayer cloth one. I want that one. No, I don't want the prophecy Bible that I just just the prayer cloth. And what does it become? The tables set up in the temple making money off of faith. So those are your four profiles. Which one are you, listener? Because they're all going to send you to hell. But one. And those who take that precious gift of faith by Christ Jesus, hold it dear to your heart. It's in a... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What was that second condition again? I gotta die? Yeah, not only do you have to die, then you have to die daily. I'm a, okay. Where, where do I go to get this done? You're standing in front of it. Most people, when they hear that Jack to Journey going through the eye of the tree thing, they're very curious. We've had two salvations from that one. These, that's the confessions. But they don't realize how powerful that story is. And the dialogue that's going on between the old man and Jack of being reduced to nothing. To have everything. But those who do get it are passing that message on. And it's fun to watch. You see, that is, that's wearing the cross. That's saying, I'm in! How do, we, how do we do this? What do we got to say? I'll quit anything. I'll drop anything. What do we are in? That's the attitude. Faith without works is dead. Can you see the movement? What do I do with this? What, how can I give this away? That's a, that's a sign that person is well down the road. Instead of holding on to it for themselves. 
Finally, the understand, to understand Christ's faith is the human receptivity of God's grace activity does not imply that man's response is passive. One of the faith in Christ counts against accurate teaching about grace is that it renders man uh, far too passive. He may even feel that a gospel of grace relieves man of individual responsibility that discourages human initiative and activity. Actually, the pendulum going to the other end of God's going to get his way no matter what, so why should I apply any activity? Well, the truth being, to be receptive in the third condition of living under and through grace, but one may forget that it... uh, forget that to be receptive in the truest sense of the term requires not not less activity of man but actually requires the pinnacle of activity the most important active response from the man or woman that could exist this is it this is the most active moment minute of your entire life it's not passive at all. For that person to take the faith out of Christ's hand and hold it dear to their heart is the most powerful active response of receptivity that activates Jesus Christ handing them the key. Let's do this. So there's no passivity connected with it. It requires a dying to self picking up their cross and following Jesus Christ. Oh, if you're going through that that eye of the needle, I want to go with you. Oh, you got to die? Well, I should at least expect to die. But these emergent Christians running around the world who are basically saying, I'm not dying, that was Jesus' job. Really? Then what do you do with these scriptures? He may die that you may live and you don't die? No, you need to die first before you can claim those promises. There's a condition to this. Not a popular way to think. Man's action is to be willing to die, and Christ's action is his willingness to live because he died. And you died too. There's the one-liner of the century. Man's action is to be willing to die, and Christ's action is is his willingness to live in and through the one who died. You, co-crucifixion. The birth of grace is in death. Identity statement for today is, since there have been so many misconceptions of this condition of human response to God's grace activity, It will be useful to consider the most profound truth of grace. Listen carefully. That of the idea that God's grace activity preceded man's man's response by providing the faith needed to unlock the door of salvation and thus facilitated man's response of humility and repentance. All the activity of God's grace is 100% accomplished through all things in Christ Jesus. All things. From the first first considered 
from the first considered thought of Jesus, the faith to believe in him, the entrance payment at the door to get in and to live out the grace life, all are actions and sacrifices of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for today, for the conditions of grace, conditions of Jesus. He is free. He is a free gift. You offer it as a free gift. It's all free. But many of us do not freely receive. Because we interpret there to be conditions to get through that passageway of the cross. And there are conditions. No man comes unto the Father yet by you, Jesus. Thank you for that condition. And may these conditions literally be used by the Holy Spirit to give us clear understanding that our response has got to be the most important response of our activity. And that's to say, yes, sir. I get it. And I receive it. Father, those who are going to pray this salvation prayer, I thank you. And we know, God, you've revealed it to us. It's not in the prayer. It's in the heart and the attitude of humility and recognizing that we are worthless and we are going to hell without going through this condition. Thank you, Jesus, for being the gateway. Thank you for giving us the faith. Thank you for giving us grace. Thank you for giving us your life. And it is in your name we pray all of your names, but certainly in Jesus Christ, who you are our Savior and Deliverer. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.